0: You've heard the news. Now get God's perspective. With more on the topics of faith, family, and the things that matter to you, The Ride Home continues with John and Kathy on 101.5 WORD.
1: John Kistler is back with us. He's one of our favorite guests. John is a writer and animal advocate who thinks about the natural world from a biblical perspective. John, welcome back. How are you? Thanks. Doing great. Always good to have you in studio. You're you're one of our popular guests because people love this intersection of God and animals and how that works in our lives.
0: I wish publishers would agree with you. Whenever (laughs) they write to a publisher, they say, oh, we don't think people would be interested in that subject.
1: I'm surprised by that. I really am.
0: Well, the book's done, and I've got a new publisher looking at it, so hopefully we'll find the right one.
2: Okay. Very nice. I, I think what people are struck with is that this sense that we have as humans, that there is something supernatural um, imprinted on the animals we love. There's something, it, it's not, it's different. It's, it's life.
0: A divine spark. Yes. Mm-hmm.
2: But we don't know how to put our finger on it. And when, and for those of us who've grown up in the church and we've heard over and over and over again, oh, well there, you know, Animals don't have souls. It it limits the whole thing. And so we kind of are in this, I don't know, middle ground where we're not sure what to believe.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Most people don't think about it. And what they believe most heartily is that which they know the least, which is that somebody told them they don't have souls. And so it must be true. Hmm. But if you actually ask them, what is a soul? Uh, I'm not sure exactly. Why don't you think animals have them? Uh, not sure exactly. They really have no idea. It's just part of our culture Mm -hmm. that we heard it somewhere. It actually comes from Thomas Aquinas. He he might've gotten it from Plato and Aristotle long ago, but it's an ancient idea that has never been proven biblically.
2: Okay. That's fascinating. So, um, so when we look at the biblical picture of what that divine spark is, what does it tell us? Well, one of the
0: biggest problems, the reason people got off on the wrong track is partly thanks to the King James Bible, which did a terrible job of translating the first few chapters of Genesis. Whenever it said that God breathed the breath of life into humans and animals, exactly the same phrase is used in Hebrew, and yet King Hmm. James translators said for humans, God breathed into them a soul, and for animals it says God gave them breath, Hmm. intentionally lying about the sameness of those words. So that's really where the problem started, is when people decided, well, humans and animals are different, so we better change those words in the Bible.
2: Okay, so that was intentional?
0: Well, I mean, we can't prove it. I don't know the name of the translator who did it, but it's pretty obvious to anyone who looks at it now that the words are identical. So why do you derive an entirely different translation for this Mm. group when you just one verse earlier used the same verse for humans? so. So, So
2: fortunately, we're in a position now where there are Bible translations that don't do that. Exactly. Right, okay. So uh, sketch out for us um, those beginning chapters in Genesis and what they tell us about God's creation of animals.
0: That animals and humans are similar in almost every way. Now, they are not similar in that God gave humans dominion over Mm -hmm. the animals. And we derive from that some idea that we are different. However, we have the same breath of the spirit of life, We have flesh, we have blood, and we move. And so in these ways, we are all the same as animals and yet different from plants because plants do not have blood. They do not move. They do not breathe. um, And they don't have the spirit of life. So that's why – so you could say animals and humans are in the same kingdom as opposed to plants. Mm -hmm. We are totally different from plants. Mm -hmm. And even plants, they're pretty different from rocks. But humans and animals are very much alike, and that's one reason when you notice the cherubim with the four faces, they've got a human and three animals on it. So not a huge difference there.
1: So the question, John, you bring today is, does God care about animals?
0: Yep. I heard you guys uh, talking about it a little bit before, Yep. and uh, you asked whether there's anybody who believes that God doesn't love animals. And absolutely, there are a lot of people who who don't don't love animals, who don't believe that God loves animals. Tell us about that. Well, first of all, I'll, let's start with the one Bible verse. There is one Bible verse that's been badly translated and interpreted, and it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, most people don't even know about it, but occasionally a pastor will bring this up when they hear I like animals. So here's 1 Corinthians 9, 9 through 11. It is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Does God care about oxen, or does he say this for our sakes? For our sakes, of course, he wrote this, so that he who plows shall plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be a partridge-taker of his hope. Mm -hmm. So the way this is translated in most of the major translations that that I just read, Paul asks a question, does God really care about oxen? In other words, that verse which is in Deuteronomy. Mm -hmm. Does God care about oxen or is this for us? And Paul's answer is, this is for us. And so what people imply from that or infer is that Paul says, God didn't care about the oxen, there was another meaning for that. And the meaning is this: that we should pay our missionaries. See, 1 Corinthians 9, Paul is reacting to criticism from the church that he takes a little bit of money for his work. Right. And Paul says, well, you pay Peter, and you don't complain about paying Peter, Cephas he's called. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, and then he quotes this verse, that the ox shouldn't be muzzled while it's treading out the grain. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense to modern people, because we don't have oxen, and we don't see them treading grain. But if you think about grains of wheat, they're they're in a shell, okay. a hard shell. And in order to get it out of the shell, you've got to crack the shell. So what they used to do is have a big millstone that turned around and around, mm-hmm. and they would put oxen around it to pull it. And as the rocks ground, the shells would break, and the grain would fall on the ground, and you could make bread. Well as good capitalists, whether Jews or Gentiles, you love to keep the ox from eating all the grain that falls on the ground, right? Because your profits go down if the ox eats a lot. Mm-hmm. But God said that while the ox is working on your millstone, you've got to let him eat. You shall not muzzle him. And Interestingly, the Jews didn't take a Pharisee view on this. You could imagine the Pharisees, oh yeah, we can't muzzle an ox, but we can muzzle a donkey, mm-hmm. a goat, a dog, mm-hmm. and anybody else. But no, they never did that. The idea is, is that the Jews believed in arguing from the lesser to the greater. If God gives you a rule, and it's a small rule, but it app- it can apply to greater things, you should take that application. Mm. So what Paul is really saying here is God did say this is for oxen, but it, it's also for, for us. us. The lesser principle was for the ox. Okay. Shouldn't you pay the human as well for working? Mm. And. Just so you know, John Calvin and John Wesley blasted people for this uh, translation. They said it's obvious that God cared about oxen. Um, to take it any other way is ridiculous, basically. Right. So, but that is a verse, because it's poorly translated, people will use to say God doesn't care. But in fact, just the opposite is the case. The verse itself means that God cares that the oxen gets to eat while he's working. Because you see, oxen and wild animals, they have a different metabolism than humans. The reason we can get away with only eating three times a day is because we eat highly processed, um, protein-filled, enriched foods, and we cook it. Cooking enables you to get more um, nutrients Nutrients out of the food, exactly. Animals generally in the wild do not get any cooked food and therefore no enrichment of their nutrients. And so they have to eat almost constantly. So it was really a cruelty, God is saying, to make an ox work among the food all day and not let him eat. Hmm. So it's not like you could feed him beforehand yeah. and five hours later feed him again. No, he has to be able to eat. So that verse does not mean the way people take it. It's Got been it. interpreted badly.
2: Got it. So. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, for, for the umpteenth time, I think to myself, if you don't know the Old Testament, you can make so many uh, textual— Errors. Interpretive errors mm, when yeah. you're reading the New right? Okay. Okay, We're talking to John Kistler, um, animal expert, and all the information about John is available right now on our Facebook page, The Ride Home with John and Kathy. Okay. So if that's not what that verse means, then how do we know that God does care about animals?
0: Okay, well, let's go to the positive side. That's the negative side. We had to get that out. There is one more story, if we have time, we'll get to it, that people use against God-loving animals. Oh, tell us
2: now. Good, good. Okay, so let's get get all the negative stuff out of the way, John, don't (laughs) you think? (laughs) Okay, the last
0: negative is found three times in the Gospel. It's the story of Jesus casting out the demon's legion into into the the swine. right. And yes. so a lot of industrialists will say that proves Jesus didn't care about pigs. He killed 2,000 pigs in one day, so obviously God doesn't care about pigs. Well, that's a really crass way of interpreting the parable. Mm-hmm. For one thing, they'd say, okay, it proves that God, Jesus loves one demon-possessed man more than he loves 2,000 pigs. Well, that may or may not be true, but there's a different way of looking at it. Legion, they say, our name is Legion because we are many. The, uh, the Roman legion was made up of 6,000 8,000 men. So there were thousands of demons in this one guy. So what you might say, instead of saying one man is worth more than 2,000 pigs, you might say that Jesus thought getting rid of 8,000 demons was worth more oh. than 2,000 pigs. Hmm. Because here all these demons were living in this area, and if he just cast them out and didn't send them somewhere, they you know where would they go? Maybe they'd go to 8,000 different people. So... In fact, how is Jesus going to show that he casts the demons out of the man? They're invisible. He says, go away, and they stop talking. Okay, are they really gone? Well, no, this is an evidence. They went into the pigs, and the pigs rushed into the lake. Thousands of pigs died, not ten. He didn't just cast out ten demons. He cast out thousands of demons. And the people saw the pigs die and recognized, okay, all the demons are gone. So it's an evidence that Jesus finished the job completely, Mm -hmm. not... Taking the stupid lesson that, oh, yeah, God doesn't care about pigs. It's just a bad Go way they've, they've played with that. Okay. That's Th-
2: that seems like an accurate reading. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I appreciate that. Okay. So take us in the positive direction then.
0: Okay. Well, we'll start with an argument that's not exactly biblical per se, but I think it's an obvious ar- argument. God created humans and animals with the capacity to be happy and joyful and playful, and that's one of the reasons I brought you an otter today as yeah, a symbol I, I think of playfulness. I think
2: it's important that we talk about this now. So, <laughs> John so, came in bearing gifts. John Kissler came in bearing gifts, and he asked the all-important question, which was, do you prefer the giraffe or the otter? <laughs> and that's a hard question. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that before. I've never had to choose between those two.
1: We thought about it hard.
2: I did think about it hard, and I chose the otter. Uh, and now that I've seen it, I'm so happy I did because I have a stuffed otter. Uh-huh. That I have, and you have a stuffed giraffe, but yours isn't quite as cute.
1: I chose the giraffe. I'm yeah. happy with my giraffe. I, I know, but okay. I'm just
2: saying that I feel like I've chosen well. Okay. <laughs>
1: well, they're very nice. We'll Thank take you, photographs John. of our little people. <laughs> okay, okay. Very nice. Right. Yeah. Okay. You're
2: welcome. All right. So playful.
0: Right. Happy. Why? Why would God create? Why did God give us playfulness and joy? I would say that part of the reason is is because he wants us to be happy. Why does he want us to be happy? Because he loves us, right? Mm. So why would God give the capacity of joy, happiness, and playfulness to animals if he could care less about them? Mm. I mean, if they didn't matter, why don't you just make them stationary? If the only reason God made animals was for food, you know, why did he make it so we couldn't catch them? There's just it's a silly idea. Mm-hmm. The fact that God gave animals the ability to be happy. I mean, you watch YouTube videos or you watch any documentaries. You see whales leaping, otters playing, puppies rolling around, kittens chasing each other. It's all loads of fun. Animals have a lot of fun. And I think you can't say that God doesn't care about them because he wouldn't have given them that capacity.
2: Right. I was at Animal Friends yesterday. Yeah. And um, my husband and I are looking for... And our, fan, our daughters are looking for two kittens or two cats. Anyway, so I'm at Animal Friends yesterday, and there's this one cat that I'm, I'm a little bit in love with. I have a little crush on this cat. Yeah. But the cat refuses to come out for me for any reason whatsoever. So the, the woman who works at Animal Friends, uh, Lillian, who's wonderful, she said, he really likes this toy. Try this. So she hands me this most ridiculous-looking toy. I was just, just silly. It was like pink and purple and had this like star at the end or whatever. And it's on like a fishing line. So I'm like holding it over, and as I thought, I thought, I thought to myself, "This is insane." I'm like, <laughs> like, you trying know, to I'm
1: entertain a, this little I'm cat a, in a box. I'm a
2: grown adult woman. I'm trying to uh, entertain this little cat in this box. Why? Because I want we I want to establish a relationship with that animal. Yeah. Right. I mean,
1: it makes you feel good.
2: It, it make right, and I want to make that cat feel good. I want to see him play, like you're saying. That though.
0: is another argument, a similar argument that I was going to bring up later, but I'll bring it up now. I call it the lovability argument. Why did God make us lovable, and why did God make animals lovable if he didn't intend for us to love? Mm. You know? Why is it that we feel love for our animals? Because God wanted us to. You know, Why do we feel beauty? How do you sense beauty? Because God wanted you to sense beauty. So that's the way we're made. And if God made animals also to love us back, at least some of them do, not all of them do, but some of them love us back, then that's another evidence that God loves them because Hmm. it's the lovability argument. If God loves us, why can't animals love us? If we love animals, why can't God love animals? Mm
1: -hmm. You know, John, since you've been uh, joining us, I I think about you often because we were talking about meat one day. And every time now that I, you know, have a piece of meat, I, you know, it it comes across me. Or a piece
2: of chicken. It's much worse. Yeah, exactly.
1: But I think about this, you know. John Kessler
2: single-handedly ruined chicken for me. (laughs) It's a lot, John.
1: (laughs) But I think about, you know, all the millions of animals every year that are slaughtered for our use because, you know, we're we're always eating meat. And I I wonder what God would think about, you know, I, I don't want to presuppose anything of what God thinks about, but when you think about the meat industry of how we just use and abuse animals for our own enjoyment, it seems criminal. It seems cavalier.
2: Cavalier. It is cavalier,
0: but there is a growing movement against that, Uh, not just organic farming, but it's called sustainable farming. And uh, I'm hopeful that the man who will be writing the foreword for my book is a famous uh, Christian organic farmer who Mm. raises animals right. And Mm. so not all animals and not all farmers are that way. It's just the meat industry. Right it's
2: That way No, you're not a vegetarian, no, right, and you don't feel that there's a moral imperative to be a vegetarian, no so I think it's an ideal,
0: but it's an ideal that few can uh, really handle
2: okay, so um, and I, and this might be old news if people listen to you each time you're on the program, but for new listeners, what do you think is the eth- is an ethical view of how to eat meat?
0: The animal has to have a decent life before it is used. That is the trade. It's a social contract between what's what God wants, between humans and animals. If you are going to use an animal, you will treat it right. It will have food, water, shelter, safety, and a time of happiness before it dies. So it should not be genetically engineered to have a life span of 10 weeks before it has a heart attack and dies because it's blowing up like a balloon. Mm-hmm. So that's my belief is that any meat that is created while ignoring God's commands to give the animal a good life, is wicked
1: meat. So in our industrial engine of farming today, is that an impossibility to do that? I I mean, you could do that if you were super wealthy or you lived on a farm, but is it possible for the common person to do that?
0: Well, it's it's not easy to find the people who do it. And... The uh, the bigger question behind what you're asking is, is it possible for everyone to switch at yes. once? It is certainly not possible for everyone to switch at once. However, the idea that the meat industry has, just like the oil and cigarette industries will always have, they always throw out the nastiest argument first, which is, we'll never survive if we do it your way. We'll all go without jobs and we'll all starve to death. That's baloney. Farms can produce, and organic and sustainable farmers can produce lots of meat. This uh, guy who might... Write my forward. Uh, Joel Salatin is his name. He's a f- famous farmer. Mm-hmm. He produces enough food on his farm for six thousand people to eat sustainably. So, if one farmer can produce for six thousand people, if we had enough farmers who used land properly, and you know, then they could feed everybody. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that the meat industry now has us locked into this right. system where you only raise one animal, eating one kind of food, you know. So we're trapped in the system. We have to break out of that system. It has to be destroyed.
2: And every time we talk about this, I want to make sure we talk about it in a way that is um, fair fair and responsible, too. Because for most of human history and for most of the people on the globe, their number one goal for each day is to survive, right? So we are – living the luxury of luxuries that we can actually talk about how to get our food and where to get our food, because right. there's so much food right. that we can afford to be discriminating. Most humans throughout world history have never had no. that luxury. Even today. Of course. Um, and you know, you think about early days here, even in our country in, uh, you know, the frontier era or earlier than that, every single day, it was a battle to survive. and I think when we talk about being careful about working in responsible farming, we have to make sure we're not advocating that people go back to that, because the reason that factory farms have come into being what they are is because people didn't want to live like that anymore, right? We wanted to be able to do other things with our time and energy, which is why Western civilization has prospered to the point it is. But it's certainly no excuse for us not to be responsible, kind, and fair.
1: We need to take a quick break. We're talking with animal advocate, uh, writer John Kissler. Be right back. 101.5
2: five W O R D.
1: Writer and animal advocate John Kissler is with us once again. We've been talking about does God care about animals?
2: So take us back to the scriptures, John. Um, what else do we – well, let's talk about Jesus himself. Did Jesus ever talk about animals?
0: Yes, it wasn't frequent, but it was uh, once in a while. And, in fact, some of these verses are used by people to say God doesn't care about animals. So I'll just give you an example. I'm sure all of you have heard it. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So sometimes the critics will say, well, a human is worth far infinitely more than a sparrow. Well, that's not what Jesus says. What Jesus says is you're worth more. More is a relative term of quantity, not an infinite term of absolute difference. What it actually proves, in fact, is that God does have value for animals. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a smaller amount of love, okay, I can live with that, but it doesn't mean He has no love for them. Mm-hmm. So the words that they use to be critical are actually proof yes,
2: of what I they're agree. denying. Yeah, Very much agree with that.
0: And it's not just birds. Uh, Jesus talks about birds twice, but he also includes sheep in Matthew 12. Who among you has a sheep that falls into a pit on the Sabbath and will not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Mm Okay, so Same thing, right? Same principle. Birds, animals. Animals do not have no value. They have value to God. And in fact, when Jesus said, God doesn't forget even when they fall. That word for fall, I've mentioned in an earlier show, actually refers to being caught in a net. People used to eat sparrows because they were common and, and you could, didn't get a lot of meat. You couldn't afford it. So they would use hand nets and toss them over flocks of sparrows, and the net would entangle the sparrows and they'd fall to the ground. That's that word. So what it means is, is that it's not that they had a heart attack and died while they were flying. It means that God cared when he saw them getting caught in the net and that they would be eaten
1: that's interesting speaking of that that. i was taking a walk the other day and it was odd i saw not one but two birds that had died and were on the ground and i was struck by the oddity of that but also struck by the incredible complexity and beauty of it i mean it's not not often you see a wild bird lying on the ground
0: Mm. well actually it's Sadly, it's somewhat common these days. Uh, there are actually mass bird die-offs. In, I believe it was in Massachusetts last week, uh, 3,000 birds were found dead all what? in one spot. And nobody knows exactly why this happens, uh, whether they fly into a pocket where there's not enough air or something. but That's odd. It, you, you you can read about that on the Internet if you look for bird deaths. So really? you, wow. You'll find big groups of them. Nobody's sure why. but. Uh, Also, in the Psalms, some people will say God only cares about species. So God would be very angry if we made the species go extinct, but he doesn't care about the individual animal. So I want to talk about that for a moment. Last time I was here, we talked about Balaam and his donkey. Yes. Well, obviously, God cared enough about that individual female donkey to let her open her mouth and talk. And then Jesus rebuked Balaam for beating the donkey. So you're just off the wall if you think <laughs> right. God doesn't care about That's good. animals. That's really right.
2: good. Jesus, and the when, angel said to Balaam, you're lucky, because I could have I ditched you, yeah, but I would have kept the donkey, ago. I'll tell you that.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, and then Jesus, when he rode into Jerusalem on the triumphal entry, uh, it's mentioned in a couple of passages. One of the chapters, I don't remember which one it is, says that Jesus told the disciples to bring the colt and her mother, or its mother.
2: Oh, right, yes.
0: So actually, while Jesus rode the colt, Mom was there. You might ask why. Well, maybe it's because he didn't want the mom to be worried where the baby went. You know, I can't be sure, but it's a possibility. But also in the Psalms, we have passages that talk about God caring about animals. Uh, for example, we've talked about Psalm 50. Every beast of the forest is mine. the mm-hmm. fat cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and all the wild beasts are mine. You know, th- this reminds me of a little child and his toys. Mine. Mine. Mm-hmm. No, that's right. mine. Give me that back. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's not letting them go. He owns them. He cares. Yeah. And then there's Psalm 145, 8 through 10. It says, The Lord is merciful and compassionate, patient and full of love. The Lord is good to everyone and everything. God's compassion extends to all his handiwork. All that you have made give thanks to you. It's obvious there he's not just talking about people. He's talking yes. about everything. Yes. All of creation. Yes, all of it. So it's a very limiting idea that people have that God only cares about people. That's just... Foolishness.
2: Mm. So, with only two minutes left, John, um, what do we get? How does this how does this change us? How does this change you?
0: If God loves animals, then you should too. You should not be careless about them. That's the main point. I Whether they're
2: the animals that live in your house or the, or the animals the that animals. you see outside or the animals that you eat.
0: The reason the critics don't like the idea of God loving animals is because they don't want Him to, because then they'd have to and they'd have to treat them right. You will not treat animals badly if you realize that God loves them, too.
1: Yes. So we're, we're well attuned with animal care, right? That's, that's become a, a cause celebre. Uh, in some ways, can you go over the top and be too devoted to animals?
0: Sure. Um, there are some people who, who will just come right out and say, I love animals and I hate people. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. You don't meet a lot of them, but mm-hmm. it is true, and it's unfortunate because God loves people, too. If God loves people, then you should love people, too. I admit they are harder to get along with than animals most of the time. (laughs) Yes, they are. Uh,
1: John, it's always a pleasure that you're with us. Say, uh, if people are interested in more of your work, they can find you on the web, can't they? Uh,
0: My website is godsanimals.net.
1: John Kissler, animal advocate, writer. Always a pleasure, John. Thank you so much. Thank you.